When you get to that hyper-focus of one single day and all you can control is your effort, and regardless of the outcome, that's when the shift happened for me because I'd always believed it, but I got away from it because maybe I thought, oh, I can do this on my own, you know, coming in with a little ego, but it's getting back to treating each day like the first day and a day is a day in and of itself. It's just today and when today's done, there's no good or bad, it's only your effort and your attitude because that's what I can control. Tom Short is in charge of business development here at Lapin 180. Every day, Tom takes center stage, opening doors for the team to connect with new businesses through conversations. He joins Dan to share his story of overcoming a difficult first eight months filled with self-doubt and poor results. You'll hear what he did to build the prospecting machine that now delivers four or more new meetings every week. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. Let's jump into the conversation with Dan and Tom. Today, we're going to talk with Tom Short. Tom's on our team here at Lappin 180. He does all of our prospecting and business development. Over the past year, he's built quite a process. But today, we're going to talk about what all those learning moments were. And we're going to specifically talk about five particular areas, self-awareness and mindset, process, practice, rejection, and how to work through self-doubt and build confidence in your calls prior to you making the call or sending the email. Tom, what's level set for our audience and our listeners today? I think it's really important if, if we're going to talk about prospecting and we're going to talk about practice, mindset, process, confidence, all those types of things. I do think it's important they understand what you've been able to accomplish over the past four months. So can you kind of share your weekly statistics, the same ones you share with me every week with our listeners? Sure. We'll start with calls. It's in the 250 to 300 range. Emails, 150 pretty consistently. Video messages, something new we've just incorporated. That's in the 50 to 60 range. And the new standard has been in the range of four to five new conversations started with prospects. And that's every week? Every week. So over a one month period, 30 days, you're starting roughly now about 20 new conversations. Correct. They're formal conversations via Zoom or whatever it might be with prospects. You got it. Okay. So let's now backtrack. How do we get here? How did you get to the point where every week, and I've seen the numbers, you're at four or five every single week. Failure. For me, perfection was a hiding spot. Naturally hardwired to be perfect in everything I do. The messaging, the call, the email, the words. And after a, a lot of heart to hearts with you and Pam, starting to understand how can I use my perfectionism in other ways and not on the phone, not crafting the perfect email really getting out of my own way, but realizing that going down that route of perfectionism, it was just a hiding spot for my insecurity. Walk us through some of the lessons that you learned in getting this thing, this machine moving. Let's go 
through those first four to five months? What are some of the lessons learned? I'm in a unique position in that, and, and this was just the head trash, but what we sell is evident as soon as I get on the phone because we're helping teams evolve their approach. So I always felt like whoever I was talking to is judging and critiquing my tone, the words, because if I'm an insurance advisor or financial advisor, what I'm saying and how I'm writing emails is not what, what I'm selling. I'm selling advice, being a consultant. So that was the first hiding spot that I was like, everything's got to be perfect because how I'm talking and what I'm saying is exactly what I'm selling. But when I realized that that was about me, right? Everything that I was worried about and I had to be perfect in how I sounded, that was about me. When you say it's about you though, what do you mean? So if I'm worried about, let's break prospecting down at its core. Prospecting is nothing more than creating curiosity to see how a conversation might help someone in what they do. That is the absolute core of prospecting. You have steps to build awareness to your brand because if we're not Amazon or Nike, chances are people probably haven't heard about us. I know that's going to be hard for some listeners to hear, but not everyone knows who we are. So prospecting is nothing more than starting conversations to see how and if we might be able to help. But if I'm making my hiding spots and my insecurities get in the way of prospecting, that's making it about me and how I sound. And that's selfish. In sales, there's just competitiveness and sense of urgency in every single conversation, whether it be on the phone, whether we're sending an email. But when I was able to take that urgency and competitiveness out of one phone call, out of one email and turn that into, I need to start as many conversations as possible because I don't know who needs what we have. Now, not everyone needs what we have, but there are enough people that woke up this morning and their leadership team was saying, we got to figure this out. Our revenue is not where it needs to be. So we need to figure this out. So my job now is to go start as many conversations as possible. Going back to those first four or five months, I, I know from memory, you would make hundreds of calls and you would send out, I don't know, dozens and dozens and dozens of emails, but you would end up with zero new appointments. Can you walk our listeners through some of those moments? What were they like on the low end? awful is the first word because I put my self-worth and value connected to the outcome. And so if my role and responsibility is to start conversations and I'm not doing that, I feel like I'm not worth it. What I'm hearing you say here is that when you try that hard and you put that much effort into trying to accomplish something on a weekly or daily basis, which is effective outreach, opening up doors to talk with prospects. And you're putting all that effort into it and you're tying your self-esteem in that moment or your self-worth in that moment to the outcome of, well, how did you do that week? And you didn't do well. It just continues to drag you down and it probably builds on itself day after day, week after week, correct? Yes. I have a, a personal philosophy that I got away from and it's treat each day like the first day. Back to any time you've had a, a first day at a new job or a first date with maybe it's your significant other now, but we've all been there where it's the first day on the new job or the first date. How do we show up? My gut is we show up a little bit different. We get there on time. 
we maybe go out of our way to do things a little differently. You're not worried about the outcomes because frankly, there's not a whole lot of expectations on day one, but it's just day one. I was letting those days build on each other instead of saying today was a Monday, today was a Tuesday, Tuesday's done. Tomorrow starts anew. And when you get to that hyper focus of one single day and all you can control is your effort and regardless of the outcome, that's when the shift happened for me because I'd always believed it, but I got away from it because maybe I thought I can do this on my own, you know, coming in with a little ego, but it's getting back to treating each day like the first day and a day is a day in and of itself. We can't start to think about, well, Thursday's going to be this because I've got some really good appointments set up or Friday's... It's just today. And when today's done, there's no good or bad. It's only your effort and your attitude because that's what I can control. So Tom, I know you, I know what you've been through to get to the point where you're at. I also know that you are a self-assured guy. You're a person that has confidence in yourself, but coming into this, being a self-assured, confident guy, how did you manage the beatdown that you took the first probably four to six months of not setting appointments, of continually having to practice and role play and watch yourself and listen to yourself and record yourself day after day after day. And then again, on that Friday, you go home and you put all that effort in and you felt like you didn't have much to, to account for. And then you come back again fighting on Monday. How'd you work your way through that? I thought back after those weeks of, of really tough weeks and I realized a couple of things. One, just because you make the call or you send the email, that doesn't guarantee success by any means. I thought back to times where I didn't have success right away and 10 out of 10 times, it was something internal. It was nothing external. And it was nothing that somebody else was doing because I wasn't achieving my results. So I, I had to get to the point when I had to shift my thinking and know that what were the things that have worked for me before? Practice. Sometimes I wasn't, if I'm being honest, I wasn't getting into the right mindset every day. It was just showing up and picking up the phone or sending the emails and so when I started to think back where I had success, I noticed gaps in my own world that weren't there. And I was like, well, why is this any different? I've experienced success in others' walks of life. What am I not doing, right? And it has nothing to do with prospects or my coaching or anything else. It, it was looking inward and realizing what were those gaps that weren't there? Okay, now it's time to make those adjustments know that everything is a process within ourselves. Routines are great, but you can't get into ruts. You always have to be evolving your own approach. And that's what I realized from being around elite athletes is there's never a ceiling. There's never, there's never a, an ending point. It's always evolving in your own personal way. So I just had to look in the mirror, Dan. I had to have some tough, tough talks with myself and realize, what are you not doing? And it was all things internal that I was not doing. It had nothing to do with, with others. Can you explain to the listeners what gaps are for you? What, what do, when you say gaps, what do you mean? The first two things that come to mind were, I now have non-negotiables every day. And two of those are the, 
the mental priming that I go through both in my morning routine and once I get to the office and practice. And I can look back over the first few months and it was like, uh, maybe something happened in the morning and I didn't, I didn't go through my full morning routine. That's okay. We'll just, we'll just come to the office and get going. And I had a call this morning or I had a networking event and I'll just, I'll practice tomorrow. When I started making those non-negotiables in the foundation of what I do, but that was where I noticed the gap start to shrink. Were there certain topics, reading material, or certain things that helped you through those gaps? Yes. One of the things I realized in this self-awareness process is we all have this ability to want to get better. But the key for me was realizing everything is already inside of me. You can learn and read and listen to great podcasts and do all this until you're blue in the face. But if we're not actually applying what we're doing and taking action, all of that is for nothing. And so I realized that everything is already inside of me. I need to get out of my own way. I need to make those non-negotiables like practice, like preparing my mind. How am I mentally getting ready for each day? That is when I noticed that things be started to become more clear. I didn't worry about that. I had a bad week last week. Okay, so what? I had a bad day yesterday and I'm associating bad with the outcome. When you get back to the effort and your attitude is the only things you can control, it completely changes your outlook on, on your performance. I know you've read a lot. You've researched a lot. You've listened to a ton of podcasts. Are there some particular themes that really stuck with you? to help you through the process of creating these new beliefs for yourself and maximizing your self-awareness as you were building this prospecting process? Yes. One of the big things for me, meditation was always something that I tried here and there, but I wasn't a big believer. And one of the books actually that you recommended, Dan, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza, it made me realize how powerful it is to start your day and get that foundation started of just getting clarity. I, I equate it to, we all remember those snow globes, right? And if you shake up the snow globe, you know, there's snow falling everywhere. That, that was my mindset during the day. And I wanted to get to the point where if I had that snow globe on my desk, I didn't want to see any snow going back and forth. So meditation was a big part of that because like anything else, we can't control what's going to happen throughout the day. But I wanted that clarity that if I'm on the phone, if I'm sending that email, that I want to slow my breath down. I want to be able to have a conversation and not care specifically what the words are, but being more present with the prospect to know that it's just a, another conversation. I'm not putting so much value and so much worth in one conversation. It's just one conversation out of the whole day. And that was a big switch for me too, was I have to set meetings versus I get to start conversations because I was in that boat that oh, I got to show up today. I didn't set a meeting yesterday. Now I have to go set a meeting today. That's about what I want. That's what I need to do versus I get to start conversations because conversations are a chance to solve a prospect's problem, not mine. My problem is I haven't set a meeting in three days. Prospects don't care about that but they're going through some things, not everyone, but I do know that there are those out there. So when I made that switch of, I get to start conversations and have that clarity within each conversation that is 
one conversation in the span of hundreds over a week, a month that I'm going to have, there's no reason to get attached to that one conversation. Let's go to process for for a little bit here. Earlier in this conversation, you had shared that moving away from outcome and putting all of the value and your self-worth based on the outcome of making phone calls was detrimental and you moved off of that to process. So tell our listeners, if they were to leave this podcast, listening to this podcast right now, what would you tell them that would be very important for them to start building their own process? You have to take a honest look and no one else can do this for you with your calendar and your time management. As salespeople, it's so easy to say yes to everything, whether it's a networking event, whether it's watching a webinar. There's so many things that can can take our time away from what the actual task at hand is. When we get really good at saying no to the other stuff, because don't get me wrong, all that other stuff is important, but your process needs to come down to your calendar during the week, during the day, and having time blocks of non-negotiables. How do our listeners start to build and utilize process as a true advantage and weapon in their business? You have to first identify what you want to go into that process to know that this has got to be something I follow every single day. So for me, my process involves the mindset and priming at the beginning of the day, the practice that goes into your portion of the day, the calls that go into your day, the emails that go into your day. Let's do this. I like this, Tom. You've said it a few times. What is the beginning of your day? I mean, outside of the, of the family stuff, how do you start your day? So for me, the first two hours of my day, no phone. And the, the importance behind that is how often do we wake up and the first thing we grab is our phone to read emails or text or look at some social media app or, or what's going on in the world. And I'm going to bet that most of that is not good news. Some of it might, but some of it not be. So I'm going to decide how my day starts. And one of those things is no phone for the first two hours. Well, the phone, right? The phone is, it's something that we react to. It's a reactionary energy. So it's like a false positive. You check your phone, you're going to react to something. You feel like you're being productive. It's actually the opposite, right? It's actually an energy suck. And it takes your best energy away from what you truly want to focus it on. And as I hear you say that, Dan, it's a great way to get into prospecting because so much of prospecting is reacting to what the other person says. And so if we're starting our day by looking at the phone and reacting to everything, chances are when we get into our day and start having conversations, we've already built the muscle that we're going to react today versus not looking at the phone. I'm going to control this. And not that we're going to control the conversation, but I'm not going to listen to speak. I'm going to listen to understand. And it's a different kind of conversation that we're going to have. So that's the first part of my day, regardless if I have to deal with my daughter, there's other roadblocks, no phone for the first two hours. And and the biggest caution I will say as a side note, if you haven't developed a morning routine, don't try to go from nothing to what I'm about to explain because this didn't happen overnight. This is three years in the making. So the first thing I'm going to do is is journal for five minutes. 
not an hour and it's not on my computer. I'm putting pen to paper. There's a couple of different things. I read a book called The Daily Stoic. So that's going to give me a, a point of reference for that day. It's one page. So that is going to be my point of reference for the day. So that's the first thing I'm writing down. The next thing is gratitude. And I learned this from Dr. Dispenza. A lot of what we're grateful for is what we already have in our life, but I'm writing down what I'm grateful for, for things that have not yet materialized in my life. It's just a way to think differently for gratitude. The second thing is I am. There's several I am statements that I've come up with over the years. I am a strong magnet to abundance and happiness. I am confident in my abilities. I am unapologetically authentic. So I'll go back and forth with those I am statements. And then I will, what am I going to do today? I'm going to set the intentions for my day. So those are the three things that I'm journaling every day. After journaling, uh, there's going to be a 10 minute meditation session. So again, that goes back to the snow globe example I gave earlier. That's going to allow me to get grounded in the day and set the framework for how I want the day to turn out. That's going to bring clarity in my day. And that translates into when I'm in the process of prospecting, it's just formulating what I've set forth in the beginning of the day that clarity, I'm not reacting. I'm, I'm having a conversation to respond there's going to be at least 30 minutes of physical exercise to get the brain moving, to get my body moving, and then 30 minutes of personal reading. So whether it's a book, whether it's a couple of articles I've found um, during the week, but 30 minutes dedicated to me of just personal reading, all of that adds up to about two hours. And that's, that's my morning routine. Does it happen every morning? No. But I know that the more I'm consistent with that and hitting that, that's going to set up my day for success. So you've got two hours built. How do the listeners get started on building their own? If you don't have a morning routine, pick one of the things I just said and start and do that for a week. And then after that, add one more thing. I tried to go from zero morning routine to doing some form or fashion of this two hour and I failed and I got frustrated. So take something very small. It can be five minutes of journaling. Just do that for a week, for two weeks, build that muscle. And then from there, add one other small thing. Don't try to reach the top of the mountain on day one. You got to get there by taking small steps every day, but just take a step. Too often we get worried about that, what we want the end product to be and how we're going to get there. And that's not the importance. It's taking small steps. Let's talk a little bit, Tom, about practice. We've talked about it a little earlier in this episode. But let's kind of define for the listeners, what is practice? Can you share with the listeners right now what your practice routine is on a daily basis and what you're practicing? Practice changed for me when I heard a good friend say, the best practice on purpose, the rest practice on prospects. And I used to think, well, I'll get my practice in when, I, when Dan picks up the phone and I can fine tune my message conversations are at bats for us in sales. So if I'm a major league baseball player, I'm not practicing during the game when I step up to the plate. I have to be intentional about practice. And by the way, in the book, Peak Performance, practice is not doing something over and over every day, like driving our car. We all do that, but we're not deliberate and we're not intentional about it. So what the first question to me was, how do I become deliberate and how do I become intentional with what I do? So for me, 30 minutes every single morning, that is the one non-negotiable. That is the first thing I'm going to do. So as you mentioned earlier, it's recording myself 
it's recording what I'm saying. Tone is so important. And it's not so much having, if Dan says this, I say this. It's knowing that what is going to come up in a conversation so that when I hear that, I'm not surprised. Because at the end of the day, 95 to 99% of the things that you're going to hear from your prospects should not take you by surprise. You should know what those things are going to be, have those five or six or seven things listed out and know that when they say that, I'm just going to sit back and have a conversation. I've heard that before. All right. So listeners on you know Zoom all day, working from home, what are the things that they can do, Tom, to start practicing right now? They don't have peers sitting around them. You know, it's not that easy for some to go and and meet a group of peers at the office or at a cup of coffee and role play with each other. So what are the, what are the things that someone can do right now to, to start implementing a uh, practice routine? So the three things that I record myself doing and listening back to calls, but the first three things I'm going to record when I make targeted calls is how am I opening that call? What are the voicemails that I'm leaving? And then when I hear an objection or a deflection during a conversation, how am I listening to understand that and then responding, not just reacting in the moment? So those are the three things that I personally record. And then the second part of that is go back and listen to your own conversations. When you're hearing yourself, are you talking very fast because you're anxious and you're, you're so amped up to, you, you finally got someone on the phone that you want to just say something as soon as they say something. So there needs to be tone in, in your call. And what kind of questions are you asking? That's the big thing for me where I've started to make the evolution. Are we asking questions to get people to understand our value? Or are we talking about things that we know are going on in their world? That is a big difference that I've noticed in listening to my own conversations is what kind of questions am I asking? So for those moments, because you're human, that you don't want to listen to your yourself speak, what reminders would you give yourself when you didn't feel like listening to your recordings? The first four months here. Share that with the listeners a little bit more. So look, when it comes to prospecting or practice, we don't always feel like doing something. That's hum human nature. We don't feel like it. But what we can do is we can act our way into feeling like doing something. If you have never practiced, don't make 30 minutes your goal. Say, I'm going to sit down today and I'm going to record five voicemails. I don't feel like it. Okay, that's fine. A lot of us don't feel like it. There's days I don't feel like doing it, but I act my way into feeling what that activity is going to be, whether it's prospecting, whether it's practicing. So again, start small. You, you recorded yourself making five voicemails. Great. Tomorrow, five voicemails and, and something else. Build upon that small step. What does act your way into it mean? At the core of it, our brain was designed to keep us alive and safe. So that's not a lap in 180 thing. That's not a Tom Short thing. That's the reality. When we start to understand that that's what our brain is designed for, it's going to put things in our way to keep us safe. And practicing and hearing yourself screw up is not something that anyone naturally wants to do. But if I know that reality, that that's why our brain is there, I'm going to act my way. I'm going to physically do the things because I know that once I start acting and doing the activity, 
Wow, now I feel like prospecting. Wow, now I feel like practicing. But there's a lot of days when I wake up and I don't feel like it, but I act my way into feeling it. For our listeners just starting off with a practicing routine, how long should they start the routine for? Set a timer for three minutes. And that would be three minutes every day until they felt like they could maybe go to 10 minutes? I'd hate to put a time frame on something. I just know f- that habits are formed after anywhere from 21 to 256 days. So I would say do three minutes for three weeks, right? Like let's just build up that muscle until we get to the point where it's like, okay, I've, I've done three, let's do five. I've done five, let's do 10. When we try to do too much, we get frustrated and we say, this doesn't work. And then we're just back to the point where it's like, well, morning routines don't work. Practice doesn't work. Yeah, only, it only works for Tom. Yeah, it only works for Tom. And the biggest thing I, I would say too about all of this practice, Dan, is the consistency. Somebody asked Seinfeld once, what, what's the key to your success? He said, I write jokes every day, even bad ones but I'm going to write jokes every day and I've got a wall calendar and I put an X on the day when I write bad jokes. And the goal is to not have two days in a row where there isn't a red X. So three minutes of practice, if you've never done it, that's fine for three weeks. You've never done it. I don't expect you to do it for 30 or have this long process built in place. What's one of the calls, the targeted calls that you've made that stuck out the most and why? I would say last week I had a call you know, we didn't set up a conversation right away, which, which is fine. I know six months ago that would have ruined the rest of my day. And I would have just went on LinkedIn for three hours because I got rejected or somebody said not right now. What I enjoyed or where I felt good about myself was at the end of the call, he said, you know, Tom, it's just not the right time right now. But I got to tell you, that was one of the best conversations I've had as far as the interaction. Like it wasn't pushy. You, you asked great questions. And to me, not that I needed validation, but in the past, had I heard not right now, that would have sunk me. But the best thing to do, whether you start a conversation or you don't, is go make that next call. Don't get caught up in your feelings of, oh, he doesn't want to talk or yeah, he wants to have a conversation just get right back on and and make the next call. The faster we can get past our last call, the better off we're going to be for the rest of the day. So I would say that was pretty cool just to hear him compliment because he wasn't, I didn't talk to him six months ago. So he doesn't know all the struggles and things I went to, but it was, it was, it was just kind of cool to hear him say like, to thank me for my approach in the actual conversation. You brought up something that I know is pretty prevalent probably for our listeners. And that is they make a call, they send an email, and they get not right now. What's the most common reactions that you get from your targeted outreach, whether it's an email or the call? Not interested. What else do you receive? Well, you know, with everything going on in our world right now, hey, we're, you know, we're putting this on hold. We don't have the budget. Uh, We already do that. I'd say those are probably the most common things that I hear. It's funny that you say that because when I think about all the industries that we work with and so forth, those would be the same three or four that you would hear in any one of those industries as well. Right, exactly. 
human beings have built these filters over so many years that in any conversation, in a split second, they're trying to decide if this conversation is going to harm or help them. And so based on all the other poor conversations they had where somebody's forcing a meeting on them or would love to get 15 minutes on your calendar, they're just using that as a way to get you off the phone or for you to stop sending emails. And so when you start to understand that all humans are trying to decide if this conversation is going to harm or help, you can take a step back or take, you know, relax in your seat. And I knew you were going to, I know you're going to say that because based on all the other conversations and it puts someone at ease when you can call the elephant out in the room and say, Dan, I, I know you're not interested or else you would have been calling me. It's not interested in right now. It's for the future or sometime down the road, not for today. You can sense it on the phone when their anxiety comes down because you've removed that barrier as, as opposed to calling and telling them what you can do to better their business. That's not the purpose of a, of a targeted outreach. So as an observer watching you for the past 12 months, what you just said feels like that was a major contributor to your shift in performance, which is you started looking at the world from the prospect's point of view. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That feels like a big shift that you made where once you made that shift, it was almost like a turning point. People, regardless of industry, most fail to think about the other person on the other end of the phone or the other end of the email. Just because we send an email doesn't mean the other person isn't thinking about it or because they don't respond. I read somewhere the other day, Dan, the average person between text, calls, emails, both work and personal, and notifications on their phone, it's somewhere in the range of 450 a day. Let that sink in. Your prospect is getting pinged 450 times a day. So why are we so special to think that that one email or one call is going to miraculously stand out? Because the truth is 95% of your prospects that you're calling aren't thinking about what you're calling about. So when you start to understand they've got 20 different things on their plate that they're dealing with, and they might not necessarily be in a position to want or need your service. And when you understand all of that, that every targeted outreach, phone, email, LinkedIn is just another way to create curiosity and build awareness. You don't put too much attachment into one single outreach because you know, it's just part of the process. It's just another outreach. And then, oh, by the way, our studies have shown that it takes eight to 14 touches before someone is going to engage. So that coupled with everything else going on in the world, how could you get upset that someone doesn't want to talk right now or doesn't respond to your email? You do talk a lot about the prospect's point of view, right? And you and I have talked about that it's easy for a prospect to say no to your invite when you make the potential meeting about yourself it's a little harder for the prospect to say no to the invite when you've become very clear that you're going to make the conversation about them. What other ways do you prepare yourself to make sure you're always looking at everything from the prospect's point of view? Part of my priming that I do every single morning when I start my day here at the office or from home, wherever, is I've developed a two-page reminder, for lack of a better terms, that I read every single day. And this 
allows me to get grounded in my thinking is conversations are a chance to solve their problem, not mine. There's a chance that they're going through something that I might be able to help them with. And it has nothing to do with coaching. Any, you could, anyone could go back and listen to any of my calls. I never mentioned Lapin 180. This is on an initial targeted outreach or conversation in person. I never mentioned the words Lapin 180. I never mentioned sales coaching. I never mentioned what I can do. The jucks of what I say are problems in their world that they might be facing. And that's a big adjustment too. So many times salespeople want to talk about their great product or their great service, but that's about us. When you switch the conversation and understand what they're going through and you talk about problems in their world, it's a lot harder to get an objection to a problem in their world. It's a lot easier to say, Tom, I'm good. I don't need sales coaching. But when I'm talking about how tough outbound prospecting is getting and new meetings are down and emails being sent or up, those are real world problems in their world. Maybe based on other conversations I'm having, but it's a slight difference that I a lot of people miss is they want to make it about them as opposed to, I know what's going on in your world. Can you share with our listeners maybe a day, like how you'd benchmark that day in terms of where you spend your time? Sure. So it would start with, we've already discussed the, the morning routine, but once I'm in the zone and start at, at the office, it's 30 minutes of practice. Like I mentioned, the recordings of voicemails, opening of, of targeted calls, how those conversations look. There's the other part that I mentioned of my, of my priming of what I'm reading, of how I'm getting myself grounded in the day to get the clarity during those conversations. So that's the first hour. There's going to be a two hour block in the morning for calls. There's going to be a two hour block for emails. There's going to be a one hour block for video messages. So right there each day, that's six hours. Then you can float in on, on any given day, conversations with prospects, networking. But those are before I would have not been so diligent to have those non-negotiables, but I've noticed that there's a direct correlation between success when those blocks, if you will, are hit. So I'm going to make sure that the call block, the email, and then I can mix in research if I've got time. Then, And if it has to happen after the typical day, then that's when I do it. But I know that those, those activities are going to be the ones, those priorities that the results will take care of themselves. I can control those time blocks in my calendar. So if I'm going to recap for the listeners, it sounds like number one, self-awareness and mindset is critical to successful outreach and opening up new doors slash business development prospecting. Number two, it is going to be process where you're moving from a mindset and value or success definition based on results, did you set an appointment today or not, to did you stick to your process? Did you stick to what you said you were going to do? And then number three I hear is practice. And then I think the last one you shared would be change your perspective. Look at your efforts and look at what you're doing and how it's being received by the prospect. 
It's not about what you want to say. It's about the problems or the experiences or the challenges that your prospect could be having. Yes. What would you add to those four things at this point? Would you add anything else to help our listeners? A change that I've made, maybe one thing to add, I was listening to a sports psychologist who was talking about officiating, but he said, he asked three questions. Of your officiating performance, how much is mental? He identified mental as confidence, composure, and focus. We all said probably 90%. There's some physical to it. Then he said, of your errors in your performance, how many are mental? And we said, well, probably like 95. And then the third question was, of all the training and preparation you do, how much is on the mental side of things? No one's hand went up. I think that's powerful because I think so many times our listeners are worried about well, one, they're not even worried about practice or, or, or the, the mental aspect, but they always want to think about the scripts and the tactics and how do I get a meeting and what's like the latest and greatest. But to me, that was really like, okay, I need to hone in on the mental side of things because we can all work on our craft all day long in learning to ask questions. That's great. That's better than doing nothing. But when he laid it out in those three questions, that was a big shift for me to understand the elite there's body craft in mind. Elite athletes, they all have the body. Some work on their craft more than others. Some are just naturally gifted. Where the separation happens is what are you doing with your mental side of things? That was a very powerful shift for me. And again, these last six months where I've really honed into, I've got to get the mental side of this down. It's not just show up and put in the work. You know, Tom, one thing we haven't talked about is accountability. Let's face it, prospecting, whether you call it business development or outreach, targeted calls, it's prospecting. It's not usually on people's top 10 list. So it's not usually something they enjoy. And because they don't enjoy it, their effort is up and down and inconsistent. And a lot of people just aren't naturally good at it. So how do you how do you manage yourself to accountability? You said something really important that, there that is, is fundamental is if you don't enjoy it. And I know I've mentioned it a couple times, but if you are waking up every day and saying to yourself, I have to set meetings, I didn't enjoy that. And it might seem like a small shift, but when you shift from, I have to set meetings today to, I get to start conversations. Look, prospecting can be fun. There's this like big thought out there that like prospecting needs to be serious and it, it can be fun, but until you make it about the other person, it won't be fun. And so when you, when you shift it to starting conversations, then it becomes fun. To me, accountability isn't something external. You have to want it for yourself. You have to find ways where I did X today what am I going to do tomorrow to hold myself a little bit more accountable? Great to have accountability partners. Great to have people hold you accountable. But none of that works if you don't hold yourself accountable. And it takes time and there's ways that you can build it up. But it's, it's got to be something internal. Someone can't want it more than you want it yourself. And I don't know if there's any magic way to build that. But it comes down to that. And it starts with the individual. If you don't want it, more than someone else. Think back to any time that whether it's a new workout program or a new diet or anything else, have you ever tried to 
get someone to want to do something and they don't want to do it, it doesn't matter. Until they want it internally, accountability can't happen. So I think it all starts with ourselves. And if it's not internal and you don't hold yourself accountable, it doesn't matter what anyone else wants to hold you accountable for. Because if you feel like it's a job, the accountability, I hear that a lot from sales leaders. Well, our team doesn't want to be held accountable. Well, what do they want to be held for or to? Accountability might sound like a harsh word, but it starts inside. I've heard you talk about that where you've had conversations as of late and a certain percentage of them, the vice president or the owner or the president of the company says, my team doesn't want to be held accountable. And, and I don't understand that either. Then why are they on the team? If you don't want to be held accountable, then what is the internal drive to improve, to evolve, to succeed? And, you know, we're not here to judge and define what success looks like. That's up to the individual. But there's no such thing as high performance unless someone wants to test themselves and be held accountable. I look at it like a sports team, a, a team that is truly firing on all cylinders. I mean, you're a, a Patriots fan. Look, look at the Browns and the Patriots the last 20 years. What do they have in common? Well, they all have playbooks. They have coaches. They have players, some talented more than others. But it's the daily execution, and there's a high set of standard for accountability. That's what separates people. So you can say like, we don't, we don't want to hold our team accountable and that's fine. But if there isn't a standard of what you're setting from the leadership, then the team is not going to want to push themselves. There's no, like you have to have accountability if you want a high performing team. If you don't, and that's okay, then accountability doesn't need to be in place. But there has to be accountability, both from the individuals as performers and the coach, the, the leadership team. So yeah, I just don't, there's, there's no other way. There has to be accountability. I know we, uh, when that comes up here in our, in our lunches and so forth, we all sit there and scratch our heads on, you don't want to be held accountable. Okay. Well, what you're really saying is that you're completely 100% within your own comfort zones and you don't want anything stretching your comfort zone. Because your ego is in so much control right now of your decision making and how you filter information in the world around you that your ego has you safe and sound in a little bubble. And you don't want to have to do anything that would cause you to make a mistake or maybe look silly in trying something different. To me, when I hear someone say that they don't want accountability, there's a sense of complacency because they've experienced some level of success. And the, my favorite question that you asked me before is, how do you know you've reached your ultimate level of success? How do you know? If we've never pushed ourselves and hold ourselves accountable, if we've been growing three or 5%, how do we, how do we know that 10% is not out there? How do we know 7% isn't out there? But until you have accountability, both from an individual and a team side of things, Success is just going to be a hope and there's not going to be the full potential that your team can reach unless there's accountability on both levels. Tom, before we, we end here, let's talk about something we haven't talked about. It's one word that every sales professional feels. It's the word 
that keeps people many times from making their calls, sending out their emails, and doing the business development that their business required. And that one word is rejection. What are your thoughts on how do you handle rejection? There are two components of rejection that if I could get the audience to understand, it will help reframe what rejection actually is. The first is rejection is going to happen at some point, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's this week, it's going to happen to all of us. So just understand that. Number two, rejection is not personal. It is to what you're calling about, or maybe you're the sixth or seventh person that they've heard from today. And the first five weren't very good. So they just expect this one to not be good. So again, understanding your prospect's point of view and that it's not necessarily what you're saying. It's just you're in a bad time at a bad place, but understanding what's going on in their world and then rejection, you understand it's just part of your process. You can't get better without rejection. It's not personal. Yeah, it's not. Now it's time for our favorite segment, Change the Conversation. Another Change the Conversation coming to us via email. So I got this one um, earlier this month. Hi, Kylie. Hiring right talent can be tiresome. Let our company carry that burden for you. One, we have a team of highly talented recruiters with 1,000 plus years of combined experience spelled wrong. Two, our unique ACS, which is automatic candidate sourcing technology, will help fulfill, also spelled wrong, any role faster and efficient way. Three, it will save tons of time for you and save tremendous, also spelled wrong, amount of money for your company and so much more. Take the peak, also spelled wrong, with the Calendly link. You won't regret it. You are doing the best investment of your time by talking to us. Thanks and regards, program founder of the company. I don't even know where to begin on that. <laughs> I don't either. Um, one spell check. Nothing diminishes credibility with me personally faster than misspelled words and typos. It's my biggest pet peeve. Well, I think the biggest hit to his credibility is when he promises you that you won't regret it. He's never met you, knows nothing about your business. Obviously, he doesn't because you're the recruiter for us and one <laughs> yeah. of our coaches. And so he didn't do any of his research. Again, it's just a blind list that he is keeping his fingers crossed, thinking if he sends it out to 10,000 people, maybe he'll get X amount to return the email and accept a meeting. I don't know. But that assumptiveness about you won't regret it, all that does is create skepticism in all of us. We're all like that. When someone makes a vague promise to us, what do we all do? We become skeptical. So all that work he put into the email and then to end it that way, that's brilliant. Yeah, you won't regret it. I regret opening the email. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, Lappin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, 
different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?